Carl uh, Rabiner was an, or is an Austrian uh, businessman who amassed a, a very large fortune rather early in life. And he was earning more and more every year. He owned uh, multiple really expensive houses, exotic cars. He took five-star vacations and he was absolutely miserable. For a long time, he says, I believed that more wealth and luxury automatically meant more happiness. But over time, a conflicting feeling developed. Stop what you're doing now, all this luxury and consumerism, and start your real life. I had the feeling I was working as a slave for things that I did not wish for or even need. He says he had an epiphany on vacation in Hawaii. In three weeks, we spent all the money you could possibly spend. But in all that time, we had the feeling we hadn't met a single real person. We were just actors. The hotel staff played the role of being friendly. The guests played the role of being important. But nobody was real. So he sells his uh, villa in the Alps, his farmhouse in France, his Audi R8, and he puts all his money into a charity that he founded in Latin America. He says, I feel light. I feel free for the very first time. These are the feel-good stories that we love to hear about others doing. We don't want to do them ourselves necessarily, at least not the sacrifice part. We love the idea of starting a charity, but not selling the Audi R8 and the, the chalet in the Swiss Alps. Can't we have the good life and keep those things? Where's the story of the person who self-funds a charitable organization and keeps a farmhouse in France? Don't you feel just a little bit sorry for him? He used to have it all. He's giving up everything. But from his perspective, it cost him very little, almost nothing, because his worth, his uh, net worth, his money, his wealth, they had become impediments to his real joy. And real happiness, he would find, cost him everything and yet nothing at all. The parable of the treasure and the pearl, our second reading, our gospel reading, it may seem like a, a strange choice for Epiphany. There are no angelic visitations. No one has a vision. But this parable is absolutely about seeing, about seeing things as they really are, seeing things that others can't see, like the value of a life lived in thrall to God's strange, exotic, mystifying, but ultimately fulfilling kingdom. Now, there are two very short parables here, both of which begin with discoveries, with uncovering something new. A man discovers a treasure in a field. And admittedly, this is a rather odd story. Is this man digging around in someone else's yard? And he finds something of value, which he then puts back into the ground in that other person's yard, or maybe he's in the woods somewhere. 
But there are no banks generally that you could just go to and deposit something. There weren't lock boxes as it were. If you wanted to keep something uh, hid, you hid it often underground. And then he sells everything that he has in order to buy the field that he's now hidden this treasure in. Now in the second one, we're told a person just stumbles upon a very specific kind of treasure. In the first one, we're not sure what the treasure is. In this one, we're told it's a pearl. It's an item of, of great value and great beauty. And this person too sells everything he has in order to possess this pearl. Now, in these two parables, one is actually searching for treasure and one just stumbles upon it. But both have an epiphany, like Carl Rabiner, an insight into the relative value of things, the worth of everything that they own, everything that they had valued up until that point has suddenly been diminished by catching sight of this other thing of value. Now we could say that the treasure, this pearl, cost these men everything and yet cost them nothing at the very same time. The kingdom of God is like someone going through life and suddenly they encounter something that changes the way that they see everything. And what Christians celebrate on January 6th, the 12th day of Christmas, Epiphany, it celebrates this visitation of the Magi, of a group of people that see something that no one or very few other people can see. And what Epiphany tells us is that God is both perfectly hidden and perfectly revealed at the same time in the same place, that God is shining forth in all of his truth in the most unlikely of places, in the material, in the vulnerable world, and in fact, in a place of nothing special, in a stable. Here, in the form of a child, God is not presenting himself as dangerous like every other God, threatening punishments. But believe it or not, he comes as a helpless child. Friends, no other religion or philosophy that I know of talks about God like that. No other religion or philosophy puts God in such a compromised position. These magi, Gentiles, have an epiphany that God can be found, that he is alive and he is present, and he is inviting humanity to come and to meet him, in fact, to possess him in some way. For the magi, and hopefully for us as we look into this new year, coming through Advent, life suddenly looks different. These magi, as they have waited, as they have discovered something new about life, about the way that they thought that the universe works, they discover something. And then they drop everything and make a months-long journey to meet this new king. What the birth of Christ represented to them 
was worth having their lives turned upside down. It was worth more than their comfortable lives inside of their known worlds. The kingdom of God is like people discovering that God is not like the gods of the known world. He is not fickle. He is not easily provoked nor bent toward anger. But the kingdom of God is like stumbling upon God and discovering that he is good and he is loving and he is gracious. And this discovery is far more valuable than anything that we have. And so we are called to gladly, to joyfully give up everything in principle that would keep us from possessing it. Now, on one hand, the kingdom like an epiphany, it comes upon us. It comes out of the blue. It's something that we discover. An epiphany is not an experience that we can generate from within, but something that we encounter, something we receive, something that breaks upon us like a wave. And that's the story, really, of how grace moves throughout the Bible. Think with me of this great stories that we have as God calls to Abraham, where? In a pagan land, far off. He visits Moses in a burning bush. He speaks to Mary through an angel. He appears to Paul on the Damascus road in a vision. None of these people were even looking and their lives are turned upside down. Nothing will be the same because of the vision, the way that they have seen God for the first time. Epiphanies, especially those from God, leave us a bit out of control. Epiphanies from God demand that we change everything. Now, both men in these two parables encounter something so valuable that they make a radical choice. They liquidate everything they own. What does it cost them? On one hand, nothing. The kingdom of God comes into our world under its own power. We cannot buy it. We cannot bargain for it. We cannot earn it in any way. It is simply given. But on the other hand, I think any of us who have taken Christianity seriously at any time, we will recognize, at least instinctively, that it will cost us everything because it makes global claims upon our lives. It makes claims upon our money, upon our time, upon our relationships, and upon our plans for the new year. The kingdom of God is far more beautiful and gratuitous than we can possibly comprehend. And yet, at the same time, it is far more demanding than we would ever expect. It contains radically good news that the kingdom costs you nothing. It breaks in on the back of Jesus rather than on your own. And it contains radically bad news that if we love our stuff, 
if we are wedded to our comfort, if our hearts beat for acquisition, then we will miss the treasure. We will miss the pearl. I think I've shared this story with you before, but it's just so compelling. It's of the German pastor and theologian in the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. While he was teaching at Union Seminary in New York City, the Nazi regime began to ascend to power and began its uh, murderous reign. And he told the administration of the seminary, I got to go back. And he gave up a lucrative and prestigious position, putting his life at hazard because he knew that God was calling him back to Germany. He made the long journey back and he wrote um, voluminously against the Nazis. He started an underground seminary. He called on the church at large to speak out against Hitler and he was eventually killed. In his best known work, The Cost of Discipleship, he writes, when Christ calls someone, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls someone, he bids him to come and die. Friends, as we turn the corner into this new year, has encountering Jesus presented that kind of decision to you? Has it ever felt that significant, even if your actual life was not put at hazard? Has it felt that significant to turn and follow Jesus, that it feels like a conversion of your known world, that it feels like life entered into a new dimension? Have you ever felt the tension that God is asking you to change asking you to give up something of value. And what is that thing? Maybe it's not life itself, but it's how you go about life. And friends, do you have the courage to not just write those things down in a journal that will maybe collect dust come February or March, but do you have the courage to share it with someone? someone in your community group, a friend, a church leader, a pastor, to say, this is what I feel like God is putting his finger on. I know that in the end, it will feel like I've given up nothing, but right now it feels like every everything and I am scared. Do you have the courage to share that with someone? Because changing our kingdom or learning to live in the new kingdom that we now inhabit, this is what we call conversion. And it is not a change merely of degree, but it is a change of dimension. It is a change of citizenship from one kingdom into another. And it's like choosing to move to a foreign country. You can't do it halfway. If you get a job in another country, you plan to sell your house, apartment, your car, you pack up your boxes, you get on a plane or you get on a train. There's a line that you cross. It's a very binary before and after. You cross the border into this new land. 
But it's only when you get there that you begin to realize the gravity of the decision that you've just made, the consequences of making the decision to move across that border and into a new country. Even though you have been converted to use spiritual language, even though you have made that journey into the new country, every day involves a process of letting go of and of taking hold of something new. Every day you're forced to reflect upon your decision. Every day you stay is an affirmation of that choice that you made to move and that you can't, couldn't possibly have understood the implications of beforehand coming to faith, being part of Jesus' kingdom, in coming to faith, we are saying, like those two men in the parable, I give God title to everything that I value. I give him control of every issue that I'm aware of. It's a binary decision to inhabit a different kingdom. But experientially, as we understand more and more about the gospel, we realize that it demands far more than we thought at the beginning. And all of our everyday choices are either an affirmation or a denial of that decision. Both of these men give up something very particular which represents everything, but they do it gladly because everything they had before was nothing by comparison. But there's a slight twist that I want to suggest as we close, a slight twist in the way that we can read this parable. And what I've shared with you so far is more or less the standard interpretation of this text. And it's a good one. It's one to stand by, and it's valid. But there's a slightly different interpretation where we are to see ourselves not as the two men, but as the treasure. And Jesus isn't the pearl that we, that we gather or that we find, but he is the one that is looking. Not to see ourselves as the two men, but as the treasure. And Jesus isn't the pearl, but he is the one looking. And the treasure then is not the kingdom that is discovered by us, but it is us people of extraordinary worth found by God. The worth of what has come to the finder is so great that he is happy to pay whatever the cost to acquire it. And the selling then is really no sacrifice at all, but a great joy. And Jesus tells us in Luke 12, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been what? has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Pleased to give you the kingdom. Or as the writer of Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It cost him everything, but the joy was worth it. You, my friend, were worth it to God. You see, he treasured you enough to make the resolution to come to earth and to die in your place. Sometimes epiphanies aren't the intrusion of something radical. Sometimes epiphanies are 
the intrusion of something radically new. And other times they come by simply remembering something very old, but in a new way. Friends, as we move into this new year, let's remember this very ancient truth, but remember it in a new way, that it will cost us everything, but ultimately it will feel like we're giving up nothing because we will be receiving the treasure of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I do pray that you would anoint us with your goodness in this new year that we are facing. Father, I pray that you would anoint your church with blessings. I pray that you would anoint us with the resources that we need to continue doing your work, to survive uh, a downturn in our economy and a pandemic that keeps us isolated and keeps us from doing the full extent of the work that you've called us to do. Father, I pray that we would acknowledge that, that we would lament that, and yet not grow despairing, that you would provide for us in a way that not only the institution can survive, but that we could at some point this new year begin to uh, do again the work that you have called us to be the hands and feet, to be actively engaged in your community, to be presenting ourselves in new ways to new people in new places in our, in our city. And Father, I pray that we would do so because of the very old truth of the gospel to be seen in a new way. And for all of us as individuals, that we would see these old truths again, that this advent of waiting would be fulfilled as you, our longings are met, as you change uh, 2020, as you change the environment that we live in, that we would be exceedingly expectant of finding uh, your treasure in a new way in this new year. And I pray that we would see ourselves as your treasure and that it would give us hope, that it would give us courage. We pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.